Welcome to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. And today we're going to be talking about the 2022 Canadian experimental supernatural horror film Skinamarink about two children who, waking, have found that their father is no longer in their home and the doors and windows to their home have also disappeared, trapping them inside in an infinite nighttime. What I like about this movie so much is how divisive it currently is, having both a 70% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and about a 40% percent from audiences uh with currently a five out of ten on imdb so extremely split <laughs> on whether or not this is a good or a bad horror movie the thing that is causing uh this division i believe to be the film's relative lack of statement and instead is a sequence of images or visuals that are m- meant to provoke thought rather than explicitly having some kind of danger being shown yeah. What I, do you think? I think we are going to be a microcosm of the split <laughs> opinions on this yes. movie in, in this episode here. I think I said while we were watching this, I think I said at some point, this is like the videotape in the ring. It's an amalgam of imagery that is off-putting. This does have more of like a, a uniting line to it, a uniting shape to it but like there's less focus on actual imagery and more on what you don't see i think yeah the entire film is about what you're not able to see right and that is of course part of the point i do believe i understand it but at the same time it like it it swings hard is what i'll say and i think that it works for a lot of people it is straight up too much for a lot of people i know um who maybe have dealt with child abuse in the past, or like it, it could, I, I can see this as potentially triggering for some people. And then for others, I think it's just not for them. Like for me, I just think it's not for me. I do, like I will say, I like artsy movies. We've done artsy movies in the past. It just feels too slow. Like the, I feel like this could easily be like a, a podcast, <laughs> like, a, like a narrative, like drama podcast, you know? Like the imagery is not, all that important, you know? I don't know. It It's just, it feels like a little too empty. And I realize that's part of the point. Now, that being said, there is a lot that works. That grainy kind of like footage uh, kind of style, like this does kind of harken back to like a Blair Witch kind of feel, but in a more meaningful way where like we do get a lot of these dark shots with that graininess where like it's just extended and you see like the the grains kind of like moving around in the darkness and it looks almost like sometimes these almost like ghostly shapes are being formed and and disformed if that's a word and i think that's like really cool because it's again like showing what's what's not there or what might be there or like this this uncertainty in imagery itself or the lack of imagery itself which i think is super cool but again it just moves so slowly and there it's quite repetitive I feel at times that it just doesn't accomplish everything that I think it could and so I'm gonna ask you to convince me that this is a good movie (laughs) oh I don't think that I could I can do that it seems like you've pretty much set in what 
you didn't like about it or what you did like about well, it. I, I'm not set. I, I will say that I'm not set. I am open to ideas. I think that the circumstances around this movie and the situations in which we watch it are incredibly important. And I think that, right, the main critique of the film largely across the board is a lot of people call it boring because not a lot of things happen. Well, yeah, it's going to be boring if you're <laughs> used to having your hand held through every single plot point happening, you know, in six-second increments. Like, if you're a TikTok watcher. Child abandonment isn't an exciting thing. <laughs> the idea of this movie is not in the action of the film. For me, watching this movie was not about seeing what was going to happen, but it was about experiencing the film. And I think that this is a problem, actually, with a lot of modern audiences, is that there are a lot of people who are incapable of actually sitting down and doing something that it involves just an experience. There always has to be some sort of external stimuli that is, I guess, punching you in the face. Uh, like it, it's this isn't a Marvel movie, and some of the some of the responses to this film that I found particularly pointed towards those people wanting it to be, you know, a cinematic spectacle, or they're mm -hmm. expecting some sort of cinematic spectacle. Within the horror genre, especially, we've sort of reached this peak point where, as things keep happening, we're constantly upping the ante, the gore, the violence the horror, the jump scares, and it's all starting to come to this head where I think that, for me personally, I just want to slow down. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to actually experience something in a way that is more meaningful to me. Like, I don't think that Paranormal Activity, which I think that this film is almost exactly like, mm -hmm. would be as re well received now if it you know, didn't have the support and the backing of, of over a decade of a legacy, right? Because I, Paranormal Activity is very similar. Very few things happen. But what makes Paranormal Activity different is that you actually see figures. And in this movie, there is no figure that people can grasp onto. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a great point. I think if Paranormal Activity came out like today, it would be so horribly received. And another dimension to that is that when Paranormal Activity actually did come out, it was pretty polarizing a lot like this film. This yeah. film didn't obviously even come close with the amount of attention that it got uh, as opposed to Paranormal Activity. But yeah, some people are like, wow, that was really dumb. Nothing really happened. And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, the scariest movie I've ever seen. And that's how it was advertised, too. Yeah, I think that the circumstances of this film are also, like, potent and important. Because think about the ways in which people watch films. Is this a cinematic movie? Not really. Not but I can imagine it being good <laughs> in a cinema. Uh, but even in a, in a cinema space, you are experiencing openness and you are experiencing sort of this this vastness to the actual theater that kind of protects you from the film at large versus the situation in which I watched the film, which was sitting on my couch with my headphones on and the laptop on my lap, totally dark room. And there is something in the way that this film worked both times that I watched it, where I was sitting kind of quietly and alone that pulled me into it because it reflected my surroundings, mm -hmm. which was a place that I was intimately familiar with as Kevin and Kaylee are intimately familiar with their home. But there is also something sort of supernatural to 
the way that the film goes about telling its story, the main part of it being the disappearance of their windows and their doors, which lock them into the house, right? And it keeps them trapped there. I think that this film is kind of allegorical for COVID as well, and the neglect that people had felt during that time. The disappearance of the outside world and the inability to go outside and connect with something that was largely more communal or community-oriented. And so watching this alone in a dark room, I was able to put myself in the scenario of this film as an extension of the space that I'm currently in, rather than, this is a movie I'm watching why is there no action happening? It's a different experience. Yeah. And I and I think that, that the whole point of this movie being an experimental film is that it is not only experimental, but it is experiential. Most people cannot have experiences anymore. And that's one of the things that we talk about, like museums not doing well. It's because when you go to a museum and you look at a painting, I don't think that people should expect for there to be a fight scene on the Van Gogh. <laughs> but some people do. Some people believe that they are entitled to constant entertainment mm -hmm. and they're incapable of pulling away and just sitting with something. And like, I don't know, I, I read some of these reviews and I'm like, have you ever just had to sit <laughs> and like think yeah. about things that's a good point this reminds me of pauline oliveros's deep listening so deep listening is this work it's a collection really by pauline oliveros which is a, meant to engage in the experience of listening listening in a communal space and that has a lot to do with this movie minus the community aspect of it but within that it is asking you to sit there in silence and actively reflect on the things that are going on around you. It's like the the people that do like the three minute meditations, right? Do you know like the Cabot Zan three minute meditations? And it's like, oh well, we have to condense this because I can't sit alone with my thoughts for more than three minutes, otherwise I'll die. <laughs> and so, like, we have to be able at some point to let an experience be an experience, yeah. and not feel entitled to entertainment. I think you're absolutely right. I also think that we can't really fault people. This is unfortunately like, a, this is actually something that I've talked a lot about with people about movies, about video games, about all sorts of media of spectacle creep. And, you know, it, I think a lot of it is due to like these superhero movies and, and just upping the ante on all action across media and just expecting more and more because we have the technology, because these expectations can only go higher. And spectacle creep, spectacle creep has obviously been like a huge thing since like 80s action movies. And I actually, I think yesterday it was, I watched the Man of Steel movie that Zack Snyder did that was just horribly received. I hated it. <laughs> I generally hate Zack Snyder because of pacing issues and because like it, is the epitome of spectacle creep. <laughs> it's just like, how can you, how can you go beyond this? Like, it's just, let's just blow everything up in this movie. And yeah, it, that being like the epitome of it is like anyone who's seen that movie or even has like seen clips of it. It's like, yeah, it's just, how do you do anything from that? And that being like the beginning of this new like DC universe or whatever, it's like, <laughs> what are you building to? Like, you just, 
you just dropped the bomb and destroyed everything. Like, what, what are you going to build off of now? And it is kind of annoying for, for viewers to see that. But at, at the same time, it's like, this is, this is like the default level of like, what's popular, what people are consuming on like a mainstream platform now. So it's like, how are we expected then to be able to sit and watch this movie without you know, having our phone in their hand or whatever. And like, like you said, short form media is all the rage now, like TikTok, Instagram reels. So it's, it is really hard. And I think that this movie may be a statement on that. It probably is. It is that experience. And I think that you make all the right points, but at the same time, I think, feel like we can't fault people for it. And this, I do feel like is meant to be this meditative and like experiential film mm -hmm. that does aim to bring people back towards that level of like can you just sit here and like just just experience what the people on screen are experiencing or people who and in this in this film not necessarily on screen but the people in the story and it's difficult it's very difficult um i've heard you know troy who's been on the podcast before um he watched this and we were talking about it with him and he said yeah it's just like it's it's a difficult movie and i totally agree it's is hard for me to to stay uh, engaged, and I be honest, I I didn't the whole time, you know, distracted by other things, being <laughs> being a new parent. It sounds like I'm making excuses, but I am. You are, but that's okay. <laughs> and I think that you're also absolutely right. Like I was because of those reasons, I was not able to watch this with headphones on in a dark room by myself, and I do agree with you there that this is that's absolutely the way to watch this i almost wish that there was like a disclaimer at the beginning being like this is best enjoyed in that situation um because mm -hmm. i do feel like i missed out on a lot of stuff because of the sound design like i was just playing this through my sound bar on my tv and like i think headphones i, I did ask you at one point when we were watching this is this is the audio in stereo or mono and you said, yeah, it's stereo. And I'm like, oh, it's stereo. I missed oh, out on a ton. so good. Yeah, I missed out yeah. on a ton because of that. And that's like the sound, like we've talked about, that we don't get a lot from imagery. We get a lot of dark corners and ceilings and stuff like that. And that I think is to portray like just the overall feeling and atmosphere of emptiness and, and um, also kind of being like literally walled in. You get that atmosphere, but then you don't get the other half of it as the sound and the emptiness there. Well... One of the things that I think uh, this film does very well is, of course, the sound design and, and the use of the sound as the vehicle that tells the story more than visual action. We kind of move around the house as the house becomes more and more disheveled, as toys start to pile up in certain areas, as the artifices of the, the typical home start to decay because there's not a body there whose goal it is to take care of and maintain those spaces. We see the home transform with the children as children would work, which is sleeping in the living room, piling up all of their toys where they most likely will habitate, not cleaning things up. So we see it get we see it get more disheveled over the time frame of the film. And that is coupled with this constant, subtle use of whisper as the vehicle to tell the story. Because why are the characters whispering? 
if not out of fear. Well, I think that it has the effect of, you know, raising the hairs on the back of our neck. There's something that is uncanny about it. And and that's what makes this film, for me, so fascinating, is that the sound is constantly pulling you in. And I talked with Nathan on the uh, one of the previous episodes of the podcast. Music in film and the way that films are constructed in horror are especially well-equipped to making you, the audience member, feel safe because they want audiences to come back and audiences won't come back if they don't feel safe. So they have to do things that shatter the artifice of the movie mm. and remind them of that safety. Yeah, there's no soundtrack to life. does <laughs> not do that. Skinamarink instead does the exact opposite, which is it provides you no safety. It provides you nothing to remind you that this is just a movie, that this is not real life, and instead asks you to experience it as if it were not a movie. Experience it as a space that you are existing in. And I think that that is what, for me, is so is, is so good about this film. I've watched this movie four times now, and I used to have kind of that problem of I have to be engaged, but... For this movie, this is maybe one of the first movies in a long time where just sitting with my headphones in and watching these images change and really ruminating on them, I didn't break concentration on the film. Like, I don't know how other people watched it, but I feel like if you've got inherent distractions, it is going to make it harder to watch. I watched it with no distractions and it got me. Like, I was fully engrossed in this movie the entire time. Yeah. And watching the the way that the house changes over time is, I think, something that is very interesting for people who do, one, live alone, <laughs> and two, can kind of experience that, that idea of space and of place that is, in a way, being shaped by your... Not maturity, but by your ability to shape it. So, like, people who live alone are generally messier, and that's because the mess starts to add up as when they're living alone, they alter the the dimensions of their space to best fit their own personal proclivities. And watching children in this do that, it is sort of the purest form of that. And so you see the place change but it's so gradual and it is so intentional on the part of the filmmakers that for me, all I could do was think about what was causing each of those changes to take place and how it related to the children's story. So you touched on one of the most important like aspects of the film, which is what is this telling us about? What is the metaphor of this film? And you've asserted that it is about neglect, right? Abuse and neglect, yeah. Abuse and neglect, right? So what about it to you is about abuse or neglect? Nothing ever gets told to you. So what is the thing in the film that tipped you off to that being the subject matter? Well, it starts when... So the dad is actually, like, around in the beginning of the movie, right? We get a little bit of the dad's voice, and I think the first, like, actual thing that happens in the movie is you hear the dad... You hear, like, some kind of noises, and um, then the dad says, Kevin fell down the stairs, you know, and, and the, the falling down the stairs, like, whenever someone else speaks for someone, you know, or, or even someone speaks for themselves as I fell down the stairs, it's like... 
<laughs> I think that's like the like the go-to, oh, how do you hurt yourself? Well, I fell down the stairs. And you see that a lot in media of actually it was, you know, domestic abuse. Um, and, you know, they just blame it on that. So I don't know if that was necessarily the case or what that was driving at, but that to me was like, okay, little bit of a red flag here. Here's the challenge to that. Kaylee at the beginning of the movie says that Kevin did it while he was sleepwalking. Maybe she was told that. I think that there is this ambiguity, intentional ambiguity to it so that you are not sure. And like even kids, like kids don't know when they're being abused. Right. And we're Mm -hmm. this we're very much put in the kids perspective. Um, So I think that that is intentionally ambiguous so that we we don't really know at that point. But then. You know, there are hints, you know, Kaylee talks about, you know, oh, dad's going to leave us and go to mom. And then Kevin says something I don't remember. And then she goes, well, I don't really want to talk about mom. So it seems like mom left left the family. She didn't want to deal with having kids or something. Right. It it just there is this kind of like shrugging off of the mother. And they don't really ever talk about their mom as like a comforting figure. We do get who we presume is the mom like an image of the mom on the bed and Kaylee has this moment with that image that that figure and it's not a good it's not a good interaction Mm -hmm. very much seems abusive and and kind of tense and then dad does disappear and then we get um, dad's voice kind of morphing into this demonic voice that we get later on in the movie and having you know kind of telling it tells Kevin, you know, stab yourself in the eye and I'll protect you. And that to me is like, okay, so parents, whether it's mom or dad or both, um, are definitely like the bad guys. I'm saying this with air quotes, you can't see it, but bad guys of this movie. And it, that that's like what this whole thing revolves around. We also get like the whole neglect thing. Why, if the parents are around and we know that they're not, why are the kids watching cartoons and eating sugar cereal all day. Like, it's just, like, so much what would happen if you left, like, a couple of six-year-olds alone in a house. Mm -hmm. Everything else, you know, the windows and doors disappearing, everything, like, kind of floating and sticking to the ceiling. Like, the world has been inverted because when you're that age, when you're a kid, your whole idea of safety and home is revolving around your parents, Right, you can't. One of the one of the saddest things in media is when there are orphans, right? And like they're they're like the saddest people ever, right? And the other thing is you can't have this sense of home as a child without a parent. And you know the parent is who you know brings you to school and takes you home from school or brings you to their activities and asks you about your day and makes you dinner and all this stuff. You cannot. Really, like you can survive without them, but you can't really live as we commonly think of living without them. That's, if that makes sense, I know I'm kind of like spinning out here, but there's this with the doors and windows disappearing. There is this kind of like trapped feeling, but th- we get we we get a lot of these pieces. Is basically my point of like, yeah, there is this feeling of emptiness in the house. And I will say before you jump into that, that I'm already enjoying the movie more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm already, like, thinking of it in a more positive... You talked yourself into it. Kind of. Well, you talked me into it. It was... I, I'm I'm now just, like, kind of, like, <laughs> thinking out loud. But I'm also thinking yeah. that this is not a good movie. It would... It, it's a good work of art, <laughs> right? It'd be, like, a really good right. art installation. I'm thinking, like, this would be, like, a really good, like, VR kind of experience, you know? 
like where you are actually put in this dimensional space. But film, I just don't feel like it's a convenient medium for it, of course, which is why I think、mm-hmm. we get it. But I don't think it's the right medium for what it's trying to accomplish. But anyways, go on to your thing. So I, I do agree that it, I think that it is actually about child abuse, and I did want to fight. Just against you because the the point of the film is that it's divisive, and that there is potentially division. And there are a couple of things for me that really speaks to that,、uh, and what this film is about. First of all,、uh, I think that the dad killed the mom. Oh,、um, yeah, I didn't get that at all. Yeah, so、uh, sh- because she's the one that's wailing because when Kaylee first goes upstairs. She sees her father on the bed, and he tells her to look under the bed. Then she does, and then when she comes back up, she sees the mother on the other side of the bed. So I think that、um, the the metaphor and the situation surrounding that is that the father killed the mom. It is keeping them trapped in the house because if they get out, like he, they're witnesses. You know, Their witnesses, like it's, it's kind of a, a little bit of it is possibly a hell metaphor where this is sort of a purgatory for dead children, which is sad. There's a lot to think about with the idea of the ups and the downs in this movie, flipping all of the furniture to the to the ceiling,、uh, having things hanging off of the ceiling, having the toys move up the wall, and in kind of, and in inverting that space,、uh, up is down and down is up. You. Of course, draw parallels to metaphors of heaven, hell, purgatory, life, death, etc.,、um, and especially the film's、uh, cover art, which is the upside down image of Kevin with his back to us. Wait,、right? so, so sorry. Do you think that he killed the children too? I'm not sure. I, I do. Th- I I don't necessarily think that he killed the children, but I think that Kevin at least is in a coma of some sort. And the reason I Think that is because、Damn. of the title card that says 576 days. Yeah, I don't think kids of that age could really like. Not that they couldn't survive that long, but I think it'd be in really rough shape. If if the dad killed the mom, I think then he、mm-hmm. also killed Kaylee because the the demon voice, whether that represents mom or dad, said that they took like Kaylee was talking or saying something that it didn't like, so it took away her mouth. And we also see the image of like the only actual facial image we get is Okaley without her eyes or mouth. Yeah, no, and I think that that relates to the idea that perhaps with the kids being trapped in this scenario, the father didn't want to、uh, kill the children, but was it was under the caveat of if you tell people that I did this, then you die. Well, in which, which what happened? In which one of them tries to call nine one one? Right, but when he's on the、uh, phone with the operator for nine one one, the nine one one voice starts to distort as well.、Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in readings that I have said play the nine one one as a as a joke, as a trick, as if Kevin was talking to the chatter telephone. Oh, that the nine one one call is not on the actual real telephone. But it is him calling on the toy phone, which is why the toy phone is important to the film. I didn't think about that. That is smart, interesting. Because the toy, the phone turns into the toy phone after the nine one one call, and then it gets all creepy and distorted at the end. Yep, exactly. And so then, like as Kevin, when the entity tells Kevin to go upstairs, he ends up he's on the ceiling then instead of on the on the floor.、Mm-hmm. So everything has sort of flipped upside down at that point, and the world. Has Has distorted so completely, and so then you're you're at the five hundred and seventy two days later, and there's like 
a female figure sitting on the bed, which I think could be like a nurse or a thing. You know, there's there's all sorts of different things that it could be. But uh, I, I do think that part of it has to do with being in this comatose state. And we know that something happened that resulted in them seeing blood. Because we see at the end the blood splatter that keeps flashing on the floor and then disappearing. The floor that is I think, the ceiling at that point. <laughs> yeah, the floor that is the ceiling and the upside down. And then he Kevin is crying out for his mom. And to me, that represents sort of the Schrodinger's box of it all. Which is that... The, the murder of the mother both happened and didn't happen as we are supposed to believe it from the perspective of the child because if he believes that it happened he gets he's going to get killed like Kaylee did but if he doesn't believe that it happens right he he lives in this kind of infinite darkness and he's never able to escape from mm. the house so like if a murder happens and no one talks about it or no one knows about it then did it actually ever happen and I think that a lot of the things that are kind of blinking in and out of existence in this film relate to the the aspects of child abuse that are often overlooked. Uh, because when we think of abuse, we think of like physical abuse or verbal abuse. But it's not always physical, verbal, or emotional. There are aspects to it that are not, that are like withholding. Like, that are taking things away. You, you hear a lot about children who were rescued from, like, ab abusive homes. Like, they were found living in filth, mm -hmm. right? And so that's why, like, the bathroom disappears and comes back. And why they have to go to the bathroom in buckets. Because that has been changed from a necessity to live to an artifact that proves punishment, right? And that's why all of the toys are these kind of old retro toys the none none of them are like new or relatively like recognizable except to audiences that know them as being super old so then it seems like artifacts same thing with the the power you know the power is like on and off sometimes it's like if no one's paying the electric bill right then the, the yeah. kids have to use these flashlights to to go around the house that has no natural light coming into it yeah or or it's a or it's a punishment like, oh, because uh, because uh, of this part of the abuse, y you don't get to have lights and you have to use flashlights. Yeah. Like, I, I think that that is a part of the, the di power dynamic of abuse and of abuse specifically towards children that are that young. And so they're they're living in this darkness which is both uh, knowing and not knowing the outside and the outside world and not being able to move to those things. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt. And this is Zach. <laughs> and just leave it like that. <laughs> and skinnamarinky-dinky-dink, skinnamarinky, don't forget to follow us on Spotify. <laughs> I thought you were just going to not say anything. Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. 
Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast, Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. 